0: Hi. Hello. How are you? My weird friends. Welcome back to pocket Full of Crime. If you are new, welcome. This is a true crime podcast based around murders, unsolved cases, missing persons, and sometimes a good old conspiracy theory. I am the host, Rachel. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for joining me. As always, I appreciate each and every single listen, share, review, and rating. Enjoy the show. Hi, I am to La Quinta at 6530 East Superstition Springs Boulevard. And a couple of the guests that come to me, I'm an employee here, they come to me and they told me that somebody's pointing a rifle. You don't pointing it at? We're not sure. Did you find any such inconsistencies in this case? Yes, I did. Okay, and what were those? Uh, when I reviewed the reports of the five officers that were at the scene, um, I noticed that uh, I became very suspicious because all five were. He was my husband and my kid's father. <laughs> and it definitely matters to us. you both gonna get shot Do you understand daniel leighton shaver was a 26 year old father to two daughters and a husband to laney sweet daniel grew up in nashville tennessee and graduated from hillwood high school in the class of 2007. daniel and his wife laney raised their two daughters and a baby on the way in granbury texas Daniel worked as a pest control specialist for his father-in-law's family-owned pest control business. Although being from Texas, Daniel was in Mesa, Arizona on a business trip, seen at the La Quinta Inn & Suites on the night of January 18, 2016. The La Quinta Inn & Suites was located at 902 West Grove Avenue in Mesa, Arizona. Mesa being a suburb located just 20 miles outside of Phoenix. Daniel was away on a work trip in which his job description includes removing unwanted creatures such as rats, rodents, insects, birds, bugs, etc. from an infested environment or building. January 18th, 2016, in the La Quinta Hotel elevator is where it all started and would end for Daniel Shaver. Inside the elevator, Daniel met two other individuals who were also finishing up their workday on a work trip as well, Monique Portillo and Luis Nunez. Daniel invited the two back to his room for some shots of Bacardi and company. The two obliged and followed Daniel up to the fifth floor, where he was staying in room 502. Daniel Shaver had been drinking prior to the two arriving to his room. Monique recalls seeing a third empty bottle of Bacardi upon arrival. The bottle wasn't the only thing she noticed. Monique stated she seen an unmarked black tall case sitting in the corner of the room and which she thought could have been a musical instrument in which she was familiar with. So Monique asked Daniel about the case and it wasn't a musical instrument after all. It was in fact a gun case This was not just any gun, it was a pellet gun, or otherwise known as an air gun. Daniel opened the case and opened it to show the two guests. He explained that the purpose of the gun was for his job, to shoot down birds that had flown into stores such as Walmart. Along with the pellet gun inside of the case was a dead bird he had shot that day or day prior. As two men typically do when showing off their guns, especially those with scopes, Daniel held the gun up, showing it further to Louis. The gun was held up and pointed in the direction of the hotel room's window. Monique recalls telling them not to point it towards the window. This hotel's window being on the fifth floor, surprisingly, it opened. Most hotel windows are sealed and shut unless it's a balcony with a sliding door. This is to prevent the liability of someone falling out, getting in, or even jumping to their death. Monique stated the window was partially opened and she could feel the breeze coming from the outside. Louis states he needed to go place a phone call to his wife, but he would be back, leaving Monique alone with Daniel. Monique stayed behind, led to believe Louis would be back. I think if Monique was uncomfortable or in fear of her safety around Daniel, she would have left along with Louis or come up with a way to call it a night and head back to her room. However, she stayed. Outside of the hotel, two guests were enjoying the hot tub when something caught their eye from a few floors above them, which looked like to them, a man holding a gun, which was described as a rifle, pointing the weapon outside the window. Now, this is logical thinking, given that they did not know the gun was a pellet gun and used to shoot down birds. So the two guests, rightfully so, went to alert hotel employees They were unaware of who this man was, what he was doing or thinking, and they feared the worst. The two guests approached hotel employee Leticia Jimenez first, who then asked another hotel employee by the last name Johnson to call the police. What Leticia does next is very stupid. In fact, if they were scared of their own safety and other guests' safety. This can also be argued later to the demeanor of Daniel. Letitia took it upon herself to go up to the fifth floor to Daniel's room, in which she was already familiar with because Daniel had ordered a pizza earlier that evening. Letitia knocked on Daniel's door and he answered. Letitia could see two other guests inside his room. Daniel was confused while Letitia was at his door asking questions about a pizza delivery he received. Daniel told Letitia everything was fine and she went back down to the lobby and gave police a description of the man she spoke with and who was in the room with him. What she didn't tell authorities is that Daniel didn't have a weapon when he answered the door, she didn't see a weapon, didn't feel threatened, and he was cooperative in answering the door, as well as the other two guests inside his room didn't seem uncomfortable or give any sign of distress. I found it very interesting that a hotel employee who has some very concerned and fearful guests, reporting a gunman, would just take it upon herself to go investigate instead of just leaving it to the police. She put herself and potentially other guests in danger by going up to this room, if in fact Daniel was armed and dangerous, all to just get a description of the man and ask him some silly questions about a pizza. Around 9.15 p.m., officers had already arrived on scene and not one of them spoke with employees before heading to the fifth floor. I understand the severity of a threat such as a gun in a hotel and or pointed out a window. However, the lack of credible detail and especially important details that could have changed how this outcome turned out, in my opinion, of course. Officers on scene included Charles Langley, Christopher Duane, Richard Gomez, Brian Elmore, Brian Cochran, and Philip Brailsford. Sergeant Langley was the commanding officer at the scene, which is the officer that you will hear making orders in the audio. Six armed officers gathered in the hallway on the fifth floor, just down from room 502, standing right outside room 505. From the body cam footage, I was able to make out Daniel's room 502 looked to be the furthest room down the hallway, where it comes to a dead-end window. The room the officers set up in front of, to avoid being in a line of fire, if the guests were to be armed and fire shots, they stayed down the hallway. From the body cam footage, it shows them next to room 505 which I'm guessing that room is closer to the elevator. I did try to look up the exact hotel layout map of the rooms, floors, elevators, exits. However, I was unable to find the specific one and to be sure that it was this exact quinta we are referring to. Sergeant Langley is seen on body camera footage of another officer with his weapon drawn and he begins ordering down the hallway quote, attention to room 502, end quote. That they listened to his command and come out of their rooms slowly with their hands up. For almost 10 minutes, there was no response from Daniel. I am curious if any other guests on the floor were notified by phone of hotel staff to not exit their rooms. I would imagine you could hear shouting down the hallway, but it's unknown if Daniel could make out the commands as to which room, or even hearing them at all. Sergeant Langley sent two officers downstairs to retrieve a key card, as well as place a phone call to Daniel's room to alert him they were outside his room and instructions how to exit. Officer Cochrane was the one who placed the call to room 502, and he instructed the female to exit first. I wish I could get my hands on the actual call recording, that way we know exactly what Officer Cochrane instructed them to do. On the body cam footage, you can hear Sergeant Langley sending Officer Cochrane down to the lobby to place the phone call, however I didn't hear a briefing of what Sergeant Langley exactly wanted Officer Cochrane to say, and later Sergeant Langley would say that he didn't know word for word what Officer Cochran instructed over the phone call. So it could be very conflicting of the instructions that Sergeant Langley was expecting of them versus what Officer Cochran had instructed them to do. In my opinion, I think that this is the way that it should have been handled prior to just going up to the fifth floor, having your arms drawn, and yelling down the hallway other than just all of you going up to the fifth floor, one stay behind, place the phone call, instruct him how to come out, and then handle it further. Because there was nine minutes that went by within the audio on the body cam where you didn't hear any response from Daniel. So in my mind, this is what kind of sparked the tension between the officers and Daniel and stating that he was not following simple instructions. Let me reiterate that I am not a trained police officer, and I respect them very much, but this didn't seem like the best way to manage the situation, in my opinion. It was a documentary made, and in the documentary there is some court video footage, and Lingley stated that he referred to six armed officers as, quote, limited resources. In that same documentary, Langley also stated he wanted to keep things as simple as possible. However, pay attention in the audio I am about to share with you and you can judge how simple those instructions are from your own perspective. This is your official warning. You are about to hear audio of the shooting and it is very difficult to hear so if you would not like to hear this audio, You can go ahead and skip ahead. I will leave the timestamp in the show notes. Stop right there! Stop! Stop! Get on the ground, both of you! Lay down on the ground! Lay down on the ground! Who else is in the room? Nobody. Since apparently we have a failure for you to comprehend simple instructions, I'm going to go over some of them again, okay? Can you both hear and understand me? If you make a mistake, another mistake, there's a very severe possibility you're both gonna get shot. Do you understand that? Yes. I do. Yes. Alright. What? The this is shut up. I'm not here to be tactful and diplomatic with you. You listen, you obey. For one thing, did I tell you to move, young man? Did I tell you to put both your hands put both your hands on the top of your head? insulates your fingers. Take your feet and cross your left foot over your right foot. If you move, we're going to consider that a threat, and we are going to deal with it, and you may not survive it. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. Okay, young man, listen to my instructions, and do not make a mistake. You are to keep your legs crossed. Do you understand me? You are to put both of your hands, palms down, straight out in front of you. Push yourself up to a kneeling position. I said keep your legs crossed! the top of the audio I have some comments I want to make. Langley is heard saying quote failure to comprehend instructions end quote however the body cam footage I seen the female exited first very quickly actually and throwing a purse around her shoulder that to me was more of a threat than Daniel's demeanor. Daniel exited after the female as instructed on the phone. However, officers argue he exited too closely behind her and that it wasn't what he was instructed to do. But again, we have no idea what Officer Cochran instructed him to do in that phone call. In the body cam footage, Daniel exits behind Monique and instantly puts his hands up and gets down on his knees while officers order Monique to stop and get down. Just a side note, Sergeant Langley is heard using the word tactful and diplomatic, and I just wanted to read you the description of those real quick. So, tactful is having or showing tact, which could also be considerate, character, professionalism, and integrity. Diplomatic is having or showing ability to deal with people in a sensitive and effective way. And I underlined effective about a bazillion times. Sergeant Langley referred to not being here to be tactful or diplomatic. So the opposite meanings of diplomatic would be mismanagement, self entanglement, and the opposite of tactful would be thoughtless, careless, reckless, and injudicious." I made note instantly, Daniel seemed confused. This could have been due to the fact he was intoxicated and he was never told exactly why he was to exit his room to a hallway of armed officers with guns drawn. Another quote from Sergeant Langley, quote, you listen, you obey, end quote. That made me feel really uncomfortable hearing those words from an officer with a gun pointed at a man the that they are not even sure is in fact armed or even a threat at all. They never did ask Daniel if he was armed or had any weapon on him. In fact, you could see in the body cam video, Daniel lay down on his belly with his arms and hands interlocked above his head and his legs crossed. He was wearing a t-shirt and sport shorts, the type that are loose-fitting, and sag a little. The gun was reported as a rifle, so a rifle is a fairly large firearm. Dressed in the certain type of clothing Daniel wore, you would be less likely to disguise such a weapon on your bean over a handgun. When Daniel was laid on the floor on his belly, I could clearly see, even through the fuzzy video footage, he had no weapon disguised under the back of his shirt or shorts. Another note I made is Daniel was intoxicated. The sergeant even asked both Daniel and Monique if they were drunk. They both replied no, which I believe is a mistake on Daniel's part, that he should have just been honest That then led officers to believe he was not impaired and capable of understanding orders. Daniel was struggling to understand crossing his left leg over his right leg. He crossed them backwards and then corrected himself. The simple approach Lingley wanted to use actually turned out to be so confusing for me to even follow, especially under so much pressure, so much fear and confusion. He was told multiple times, you make another mistake, you will be shot and there is a chance you will not survive. Talk about making the man nervous. So the instructions changed from hands above your head, get down on your knees to lay down, cross hands and feet, then place arms out in front of you, palms down, push yourself up to your knees again, then getting yelled at because he didn't get up to his knees without uncrossing his legs, then he was ordered to get on all fours, hand the knees, and crawl towards the officer, all while a purse was visibly right in front of him laying on the ground. Again, I am not trained, however, six armed officers, a man visibly intoxicated, following orders, just struggling to even understand the contradicting instructions. The female was cuffed and taken away almost immediately. Why didn't one of the six officers, knowing five other officers had their guns drawn on this man, approach him while he had his hands and feet crossed, laying on his stomach, approach him and cuff him to pat him down and realize he wasn't armed, and another officer clear the hotel room to ensure no one else was in the room. Instead, Daniel crawled towards the officer, drunk, wobbling, while crying, quote, please don't shoot. The shorts Daniel was wearing were loose and falling off of his hips. This is when he lifted one hand off the ground to pull up his shorts. I am guessing he was unaware that doing so would be taken as a threat and he would be shot. Daniel was shot five times by one of six officers. Officer Philip Mitchell Brailsford, or known as Mitch, fired the five shots from his AK-15 rifle, and killed Daniel instantly. The last words you heard from Daniel were, Please. Daniel was pronounced dead at the scene. He was shot in the back, neck, chest, thigh, and cheek. The fatal injury was a bullet that struck his left lung and heart, causing a large amount of bleeding into his left chest cavity. A toxicology report was taken in which they tested two different areas of Daniel's body and they came back with his blood alcohol levels at 0.27 and the other area of the body was 0.29 percent. Both of these readings would have placed Daniel three times over the legal limit to drive. This makes you question if Daniel was even capable of following the orders given to him. After a sweep of Daniel's room, officers discovered he was not in possession of a weapon on his body, and the weapon discovered in his room was, in fact, a pellet gun. The officer who shot five rounds shot to kill. This wasn't a man acting in a threatening demeanor, in my opinion. He used, yes sir, while crying, please don't shoot. He acted the best to his ability to follow extremely difficult and ever-so-changing commands. I understand the need for law enforcement to take every situation as a threat, You just never know. However, I do think this was handled poorly. This man didn't need to die. He didn't need five bullets to figure out he didn't even have a weapon on him. My question is, why shoot to kill? What happened to tasers or pepper spray, or even using your training to handle the situation better to avoid killing somebody? Taking someone's husband, son, and dad. Let me introduce you to Officer Philip Brailsford. He was 26 in 2016, which makes him around 30 years old today. Brailsford had been employed with Mesa Police Department since the year of 2013. Brailsford came from a law enforcement family. His father was a police sergeant and also had worked for the Mesa Police Department. Philip graduated from Mesa Desert Ridge High School in 2009 He then went on to serve as a LSD missionary in Ecuador. LSD stands for Latter-day Saints, which could be referred to as a Mormon religion. I am not aware of the exact year Philip signed up with the Arizona National Guard before being hired by Mesa Police. A few fellow officers who worked with Brailsford had stated he made it a mission to arrest one person a day, and to make it big to join the drug enforcement. He wanted to make a very noticeable and loud impression that he meant business. Brailsford is married and had two sons in 2016. I am unaware of any changes in his family dynamic since this event. However, Brailsford had a history of using excessive force. In 2015, video surveillance at a convenient gas station showed three teens purchasing cigarettes and chips. The three teens were suspected of causing damages to another convenience store, which is why the police confronted them that evening. According to the store clerk and witness, he stated the teens had not done anything wrong in his store at the time when police confronted them. Their ages were 16, 18, and 19. The police confrontation led to physical altercation, Brailsford is seen holding one of the teens in a headlock, slamming him against the shelf next to him before throwing him on the ground, ripping his shirt, and seen punching the teenager in the face, all while his hands were behind his back. The teens were charged and booked for criminal damages, aggravated assault, and resisting arrest. The clerk stated the situation could have been handled in a better manner. Railsford and the other responding officers that night were investigated on excessive force but were ultimately cleared. Again, I am unaware of exactly what these teens were up to, had done previously, or what exchange of words were said. I just watched the video myself. It was excessive, yet no one got seriously injured, which is what matters most to me. The rest, I will leave up to the department and who investigates or rules out any behavior. Back to the Future, 2016, Brailsford was charged with second-degree murder after shooting Daniel Shaver. However, the wife and family of Daniel Shaver recall the case not drawing any media attention or social attention because the body cam footage was not released to the public, which is understandable when in the middle of a trial. Lainey Sweet Daniel's wife had made a comment, quote, they need to see the truth, end quote. However, once video cam footage was released, you can imagine the outright uproar of the surrounding area and the riots and protests that took place after. Another interesting bit of information is what was withheld from the jury. Brailsford carried his own personal AK 15, which was allowed to be carried on his being at work. When the weapon was seized, the department found very vulgar words, quote, you're fucked, end quote, encrypted into the rifle's dust cover. I will have photos of the weapon and some of the crime scene on my podcast Instagram. Daniel Shaver's wife, Leni Sweet, attended the bond hearing for Mr. Brailsford. She even gained the courage to address the judge with a moving statement. Good morning, ma'am. If you could just start out by telling my court reporter your full name and if you could spell your last yes. name, please. Wayne Christian Sweet, Spell the last name, S W E E T. 2 Thank you, ma'am. What would you like to say? Hi, yes. Um, on behalf of my daughters and I, I would like to request that a fair bond um, be set to validate that my husband's life had value and meaning. Um that this be treated like all other second-degree murder charges. Um, having no bond sends the message that my husband's life had zero value. And uh, I would like to say that um, Daniel Shaver, I mean, the value of it not... or on, I'm sorry. Whew, this is overwhelming. Um, the no bond sends the message that Daniel Shaver, you know, his life, it had no value. Um, is not the message that you're going to send today. The judge granted Mr. Brailsford bond and determined him to be a low flight risk. However, he was not able to possess a weapon, contact the victim's family, and couldn't return to the scene of the crime. On December 7th, 2017, after six hours of deliberating over the course of two days, the jury came back with a verdict. Not guilty. Brailsford was exonerated, and his defense stuck to the thought that Daniel was a threat and had posed a threat when he lifted his hands off the ground to pull up his shorts. Let me correct myself. One hand off the ground. I read something on Facebook a week prior to recording this episode, and it said that all lives matter, whether you're black, white, Native American, Asian, purple, yellow, polka dotted, but in the same sentence, police officer lives matter, blue lives matter, but what makes one life more valuable than the other? How do you decipher that? How did you come to the conclusion within a millisecond that when he lifted that hand off the ground, that his life was not as important as yours? The jury was also not presented with the murder weapon in which it was etched with some very vulgar terms nor were they shown the entire body cam footage, which showed Daniel crying, saying, Please don't shoot. Officer Brailsford was fired from Mesa Police Department March 21st, 2016, with violation to possessing a gun with such terms etched into it. Philip appealed his termination the following day. Mesa Police Department, however, rehired Brailsford two years later, and the terms of reemployment will make your blood boil. August of 2018, Brailsford signed an agreement with the City of Mesa outlining terms of his rehire, which included, quote, for the sole and limited purpose of allowing Brailsford to file an application for accidental disability medical retirement, end quote. Brailsford hiring was only on paper. The agreement stated his rehiring does not confer upon him any rights to be assigned any duties or to perform any work or to receive any compensation or other employee benefits as a Mesa police officer. The city of Mesa would also reimburse Brailsford for reasonable medical expenses arising Out of his treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. The Public Safety Personnel Retirement System Local Board determined that Mr. Brailsford met the qualifications for medical retirement, which allows him to draw a pension. According to a PSPRS, his monthly benefits are around $2,500 or roughly $31,000 a year for the rest of his life. He was officially medically retired at the age of 28, only being temporarily rehired by Mesa Police Department for a total of 42 days. Retired Mesa Police Officer Bill Richardson stated he was shocked by the board's decision. Here's a quote from him. It made me want to throw up for a lot of different reasons. He was charged for a reason. Just because a jury came back with a not guilty verdict doesn't mean they didn't do it end quote. And I'm assuming referencing to plural as they, he is addressing Sergeant Langley as well. Let me just touch on that, um, for a quick second. Um, the difference between going under investigation by the department, which he worked is completely different than the county pressing charges of such second degree murder. So they must have found or thought um, that the case was significant enough to take in front of a jury, which if the department or the investigation that took place found that um, Mr. Shaver was a threat, um, I do not believe that he would have been charged with second-degree murder. Laney Sweet and Daniel's family together filed a wrongful death suit against the City of Mesa on June 1st, 2018, which was dismissed. However, March 13th of 2020, Lenny Sweet v. Ex-Sergeant Langley was covered in a documentary of the case. I am unaware of any verdict or resolution in the case so far. Langley, however, was denied his motion to dismiss on qualified immunity grounds, actions based on Langley's involvement in the fatal shooting. The court properly denied qualified immunity in light of these allegations. Four months after the shooting, Sergeant Langley retired and moved to the safe haven of the Philippines, where he would be free from public scorn, potentially trying to avoid further prosecution. I will keep you updated on any information that further comes out on this case. That is all I have for you this episode, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. If you have made it this far, I would love to hear your feedback and comments on this particular case. You can do so over on my podcast, Instagram, and Facebook page, or you can email me comments or future episode recommendations to pocketfullofcrime at gmail.com. In a better light, I want to nominate a police officer or officers for this episode's All Out American segment. I am so honored to know more than a handful of amazing law enforcement professionals. I back the blue for these amazing men and women who do their jobs fairly and professionally. Not every officer is a threat to you. They're here to protect us when we have no one else to call. They are here if someone breaks into your home, robs you on the street, rapes, or assaults you. They are here to protect our children when walking home from school. They patrol our streets and monitor speeding and drug exchange. They are here when a threat is made against our children's schools. They go to work every day knowing they may be exposed to danger, assault, and retaliation. So this episode, I want to name a few officers I am so very lucky to know and feel comfort knowing they are serving our community. So, a big shout out goes to Officer Tyler Price, Officer Jennifer Price, Marshal Joshua Katz, Officer Mike Clement, and many others. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. Leave me a rating and a review, they really help my show grow. I am so appreciative you listen to my show. Join me next time for more crime. Until then, Stay weird, my friends. Oh, and one more thing. Hi, Mom.